0: Welcome to the Tier One Performance LV Podcast, where we help you find your inner athlete by discussing all things from fitness, health, mindset, optimizing performance, self-discovery, and growth. Cool. On today's podcast, we are joined by Martin Little, who served in the British Army and now owns and operates Health, Happiness, and Healing in the UK. How are we doing buddy? How's the week been?
1: It's been very good, thank you Benny.
0: Awesome mate. Um, what you been, what, you, what you been up to, mate? What's like a general week looking like for you nowadays?
1: So this week, um, fairly steady way. i have still operating a day-to-day job alongside running health happens and healing, so just cracking on with that. Um, doing a bit of first day training this week, um, just to keep my own calls up to scratch. And spending plenty of time with my daughter and the dog and my partner
0: outside. Nice mate. Um, whereabouts is it that you're in England at the moment or, you know, where where have you settled down?
1: So we're based in a place called Preston, that's sort of Northwest England. Most people don't know Preston, but they'll know Manchester or Blackpool. Um, it's sort of in between those two. It's a nice little place. We're in a good location for the mountains, the Lake Districts. We're close to Wales. It's a, a really nice central, sort of central location.
0: Yeah, that's good, mate. Yeah, um, yeah, it's good you mentioned that. It's kind of funny because, obviously, I'm out in America. Um, most people just, they generally ask, oh, you're from London? And then <laughs> yeah. I try to tell them, like, you know, I'm, I'm from Bradford, but I don't even tell them Bradford, not because I'm, like, you know, against, you know, want to hide it. But I just say, yeah, I'm near Manchester or Liverpool. And it's mainly because of, you know, football, as in the football yeah. teams. Yeah. I don't even think they probably half of them know exactly where I'm but because they've heard of Liverpool or Manchester, like, oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, I get it the same.
0: Whatever. Uh, no, that's funny, mate. Um, cool, man. So let's let's kind of just take it back. I know obviously we crossed paths, uh, being in the British Army and being part of like the same regiment. I know it was in different squadrons. Uh, just talk to us just a little bit, mate, like about, you know, a little bit of your childhood and kind of what maybe, you know, led to you, you know, joining up the British Army mate.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So my childhood, I had a really good upbringing, um, both my mother and my father, really beautiful people. Um, They were the best of me in life. Um, All my favourite childhood memories are all sort of camping holidays, going to caravans down Cornwall, things like that, playing on the beaches, playing in the water. Um, And then I think when I was an early teenager, I started getting bullied quite badly. Um, from various people and it really affected how I was at the time Um, and then growing up into sort of a mid teenager I wouldn't say I fell into the wrong crowd I'll quite happily happily hold my hand up and say I was the wrong crowd Um, so I got involved in you know I was causing a lot of trouble I was abusing myself and abusing my mind and just not a very healthy place to be whatsoever and i tried college after high school and i dropped out after a year again it just wasn't for me by this point i'm sort of 16 and heavily drinking fairly regularly and um, so i really needed yeah. some sort of discipline and at that time i realized that it's you know i'm, I'm even going up in prison or a coffin at this point um i need to do something different so i ended up um joining the army pretty much on a whim because we went into the careers office we talked to the guys there the explain what they could offer us me and my friend went together and and then we thought we'll just join the army then we can go back to the pub Uh, and that was how i joined the army there's no sort of romantic story behind it but i now know it all happened for a reason obviously Um, but yeah it was just a bit on a whim really but i'm really glad i did join the army because it gave me the discipline and structure that i really needed at that point in my life um, because it was going to go one way or the other really so the army gave me that it gave me that structure it helped me build resilience. It helped build a lot of respect for myself and strength for myself as well physically and mentally which was key oh
0: yeah definitely mate um when you obviously you went down the army careers and then um did you know you was going to join like the engineers mate was that was that a thing did you was that where they kind of put you or did you know what you wanted to do that no to be
1: honest benny um I was pretty open minded about where I joined the army, and I think originally it was a bit of signals um and then it ended up the engineers um so I was posted to the engineers, obviously completed um basic training um did my trade training things like that and then I think I was going to get posted to Germany, which I didn't really want. I wanted to stay in the u k um so I looked at some alternatives and then I seen an advertisement for what we know as P Company, Parachute Company. Yeah, yeah. And and that's when I enrolled onto that. Um so we sorry, sorry I did the training. Um passed out as a British military parachutist and then I was posted to nine power squadron with the Royal Engineers.
0: Was that when there was did you go when there was all the shopmate, mate or was it they already down in Woodbridge?
1: No, I literally got to Woodbridge as uh, the regiment got to Woodbridge uh, right, from right. the shot. So I think it was just at the back end of the transition phase.
0: Right, right. That's cool, mate. Um, just touching on, uh, you know, P Company, which is like the selection course in a way of becoming a, like, well, to operate with a parachute regiment and um, all the attached arms do this course, mate. How How was that for you at that stage? Were you pretty in good shape, mate? Did you? powerful. Um
1: well to look at me no I was like 10 stone at the best <laughs> yeah. very slim but however um my body seemed to carry it well um there were certain elements of the course that I struggled with yeah, I think most so the weighted the weighted marches the tabs. I struggled a little bit more with them as opposed to running so I was quite a slim guy but anything you know running body weight stuff I, I absolutely smashed and it's surprising what you can do when you put your mind to it, because if you were to put anyone uh, off the street and put them on a course, I like it, it'd be pretty soul destroying. But through the military, you build up that resilience step by step. And when you give them that gentle nudge, it's really um, quite amazing what you can achieve when you put your mind to it. And I think when you're in that scenario and you want something badly um, and you go for it, then literally anything is possible, as, as we know, because it's very, very demanding physically and, and mentally also as well.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. Uh, yeah, it kind of, it sounds, I had the similar experience, mate. I was, yeah, about, I don't know, 10, so, no, fact, I think I was like nine and a half stone, mate. So in uh, American terms, I was probably around about 150 pounds, soaking wet too, really good at running. I struggled a lot with the weighted. I was always the guy, I was... Always drop off, but then I just have that determination, mate, where I could kind of before you know you you finish, yeah, I'd always finish with a pack, like just but I'd probably spend about 80% of the time just off the pack, always catching up. And then my biggest challenge, mate, of uh, P Company my, or my biggest fear was the Trinasium mate, oh, okay, you know, the shuffle bars. I just made. Put me at heights, even today, I, like I get the old disco leg and it's mentally, I want to do it, but my body just, something yeah. just kicks in, mate, like that fear. But uh, once I passed the trinasium, you know, when you get to like test week, that was when almost like I could relax. Like I knew by that point I could finish the tabs, I could obviously, the, you know, do everything else firing, you know, getting injured. But once I passed that Trinasium, mate, which I think is on day one, it was just like, all right, cool. Not being big-headed, but I'm like, right, I can do the rest, because it's just yeah, physical. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the most daunting part, mate. Uh, did you ever have any trouble with heights?
1: It's Well, it's a very unusual feeling, being that high up, wandering across yeah. a couple a couple of thin scaffolding bars, isn't it? Very unusual feeling. Um, I did okay on the Trenasium, to be fair. That, um, yeah, I didn't really have an issue on that one. It was more the, the weighted tabs that uh, I, I struggle with personally. But, um, like you said, you you always find something somewhere to dig deep and you can pull it out of the bag, can't you?
0: Yeah, mate. I mean, yeah, like, you know, you've gone through quite a lot of weeks of training, especially just to get to test week. And then obviously, you know, it's, what is it, seven tests? It seems so long ago, yeah. I forgot, but yeah, seven tests. You don't really know what the pass mark is, except don't come off the log. And the stretcher was the big one that I got told. And then obviously, the Trenesium, just get through that. But um, yeah, I was like, stay on the log, stay on the uh, stretcher obviously get through the Trenesium and everything else, just finish with a pack and you should be good.
1: Yeah, um, well, I had um, I had a stress fracture for the last three weeks at P Company and I was actually popping four Paracetamol and four Broofy uh, twice a day before each session just to kill the pain. And uh, and yeah. so when I finished the last um, the last race, I think it was a log race, obviously a stretcher race, I can't remember. But as soon as I finished it, that's when I stopped taking painkillers and then my right foot just stuck out at it sixty degree angle it was stuck there for three months after that. <laughs> that's
0: crazy, mate. Uh man, it's yeah, it's mental too the foot like I said, the stuff you can push yourself through and then the old answer to everything in the British Army at that time was just yeah, pop a few in, Yeah. And you'll, and you'll be all right. So some yeah, briefing and
1: zinc side tape and that's pretty much everything covered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate. So uh yeah mate, you know, passing P company, obviously getting back to the the regiment and obviously joining uh, nine Para. um Tell us a little bit about your time, just, you know, kind of growing into your unit and, you know, how how was that for you, buddy?
1: So when I first got to nine squadron, looking back, it was quite daunting, to be honest, because obviously you're known as a newie, um And you don't get treated with the, the highest respect to start with, because you've got to, at that time, you feel like you've got to earn your position, you've got to earn your place within the squadron. Because you know we we do a lot of good work, um, did a lot of good work, and I, I understand the concept of it. <clears throat> um, but it was it was challenging, it was tough mentally and physically. But then you soon find your feet and you soon settle into things like like any walk of life, I suppose. Um, we had a, a good bunch of lads. And it's a shame that you know it's quite frequent that the lads would come and go, they'd leave the army or they would get posted out. But that was just the way of the military life. It was you got quite used to moving around and meeting new people and building new friendships and whatnot.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, kind of just touching on the, you know, let's say earning your place, you know, once you get to the squadron and your troopers and stuff. Like, kind of like where you're at now, mate. Um, what's, you know, like, I, there's a part of me, me personally, anyway, that, I think it's there's a time and place for it which I I believe it should always be there uh, maybe some levels of stuff that gets done or doesn't get done I know as as we the modern day arm is changing you know people may use the word soft and you know it's getting easy. but it's all, for me anyway I love that to a point when you do get past that phase and you're one of the boys like you've almost earned that right to be one of the lads um you know I, I think there should be an element of that there because it it doesn't it does uh, increase that like that bonding and you know that team that that spirit that's within that particular troop or group you know but what's what's your opinion on that mate?
1: yeah i agree with you i think it's important because once you have been there for a certain amount of time you put the hard work and you know you're working hard to achieve um that sort of recognition for who you are and what you what you're capable what what you can bring to the party if you will and then when it is recognized by your peers and your superiors, then it's a very welcoming feeling. And then you are, then it's sorts of transitions from becoming an outsider to part of a very welcoming family.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, build up, I mean, for us, which was probably obviously a big impact on both our lives, mate, was um, Harry Kate Was that your first tour, mate?
1: Yes, that was right, yeah.
0: Yeah, Hurricane two, 2008, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2008, mate. Uh, tell us, well, tell us from your end, as in working obviously with, with Nine Para, I was at the sister squadron, what was that build-up phase like for you, mate? You know, like all that prep that we did to obviously just be ready to deploy?
1: It was um, pretty intense, weren't it? It was quite time-consuming. Um, obviously, yeah, we yeah. deployed to Kenya back end of 2007, um obviously we go yeah. there to do the live firing exercise that acclimatises you to working and manoeuvring in those sorts of temperatures and similar environments. So that was interesting itself. Kenya was very interesting, you know. Working in the middle of nowhere with lions stalking you, hyenas stalking you, <laughs> snakes and spiders everywhere. We had um some of the Zulu tribe trying to um climb underneath the razor wire and dig a tunnel into our camp to steal stuff we had one guy walking around the camp with an old musket rifle it was just another world it was absolutely (laughs) bizarre and you know what made me laugh we'd have like a a gamekeeper with us at the time and when we go out on patrol at night they wouldn't come because they'd say oh no it's not that safe at night around here (laughs) But the British Army got off a plane yesterday and every night we'd be out by ourselves and it's been perfectly fine. And you'd hear the lions roaring in the background. You could see dead dead, dead antelopes on the side of you. You knew they were around. But we'd just go on a little jollies on a little night patrols, regardless. come back covered in ticks. Uh, yeah, very strange experience. But yeah, it was good.
0: And then um yeah, so out at Kenya, mate, what was I mean, did you well? Once you get past Kenya, you kind of like do that. It's like almost like that final exercise in it, where it's almost like battalion level, if I'm right. Yeah, Um, you know, where everyone gets that tick in the box. Like, all right, where you know, almost mainly for the commanders, I'm guessing to like say my unit, the battalion, we're ready to go. We've ticked all these boxes. Um, For you, mate, just as you know, as Martin and you know me as an individual, did you feel like, man, I'm ready, and you know, I'm ready to go go abroad and Do my job.
1: I did, yeah. At the time, I was really excited for it as well. I came back to England from Kenya, and you realize that when you're training in places like Kenya, that uh, with that you train at that sort of height, your body becomes so much fitter. Oh, yeah. And so, when I came back to England, I went for a little run and I was flying. I felt like I was running on a cloud. I was like full of energy. The fittest, literally, the fittest and strongest that I felt in a long time, and through various courses and sort of briefings and meetings we had with uh our colleagues then you know you get very fired up to go out on tour it's a difficult choice obviously with family leaving behind but ultimately you know you're in the army that's going to happen we got plenty of notice and we was given a lot of training and preparation for it so yeah at the time i was really ready to go for it so i was excited
0: uh at this time how old were you
1: i would have been around 20 21 years old i think it was on harry
0: kate yeah 2021 mate. that yeah i think i i was 20. yeah into, like when we, once we deployed mate yeah um there's i kind of when some people ask me about you know you get the old jewish oh have you done this have you done that you know i'll tell yeah you know i went here but i try and explain to people when they ask me how it was and i kind of like similar to what you said is we're ready for it because you've done all that training obviously you're confident in yourself the lads around you you've been tested numerous times like I said, you're physically in probably one of the best shapes you've been at that point in your life and then um it's almost like i try and tell the you know people out here it's, imagine being a pro athlete training and putting all them reps and hours in but then you just go and sit on the bench you don't actually get to get involved in the game as such. So that's almost like for us, we've done all the preparation. Now it's like, okay, you know, not saying it was a game, but we go and do the job that we've kind of been working towards. Um, prior, prior to leaving and, you know, heading abroad, did, was there any stuff that you had to like settle back home? mate? Was I mean, was you in any type of relationship or was it was just a case of like mum and dad, you know, say, you know, say your goodbyes type of thing and then head out. At the
1: time i was
0: single going out to
1: afghanistan which worked quite well yeah i had a, i was dating someone at the time but it, um it finished pretty briefly not long before i went so it was quite good timing to be honest um and it's very difficult for the people to leave the fans and stuff behind on my second tour i did have to do that um so yeah we'll talk about that in a
0: little bit yeah mate and then um through you know through the first tour like you know, I mean, is there any kind of like highlights as such, mate, you know, just like memorable moments where you're like, man, that was a, let's say a good time, or it was a <coughs> tough time, but you know, that experience that you can kind of maybe draw back on.
1: Well, on my first tour, it was actually in terms of, um, action, if you call it that, it was a quite a quiet tour. We was based in a fob called inkerman Fob inkerman but we nicknamed it Fob Incoming because we would get Taliban firing RPGs over the little base we was in every day at a certain time, so they could rain down the fragments and uh, try and injure us or whatnot. But we called it FOB incoming, so it was a pretty funny uh, nickname. And I was there for about three months. Um, and like I said, it was fairly quiet, so it would be, we'd go out on patrols. We'd never come under contact, apart from the airbase and the FOB. Um, we'd... We do fairly bits of training, try to increase the security of the fob itself. And um, we we used to buy chickens off the, tel- um, off the locals. So we'd have a bit of extra protein cause the food was pretty poor where we were. It was pretty much spam and rice three times a day. Although one day the chef did go all out and uh, he put pineapple, no Hawaiian pizza on the menu. So oh. we all got that excited. And so we went to the little cookhouse tent, and it was uh, some. Little dough that he'd made and some pasteurized cheese out of a tin and um, some spam, obviously, and a bit of tin pineapple.
0: <laughs> mate, I, I tell people, and like my wife, I seen the tin of spam like maybe a couple of months back, and I was like, I can't, I've had enough spam for a lifetime. Flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> um, so, what was, was you, was you guys doing a little bit of construction out there? you know, as in like, you know, fob defences and stuff, were you going out like searching for IEDs with the infantry or... Well, I we only, uh, we, when our, on my
1: tour, we was attached to two para um, and we generally squad on fighting patrols we didn't actually do any sort of engineering work outside of the fob, we built a lot of overhead protection within the fob and we sort of maintained the water filtration system and stuff like that to give us a bit, a bit of a drinking supply Um. We did a little bit of searching, um, but then obviously I was badly injured on that tour by a suicide bomber, so that sort of cut my tour fairly short.
0: Yeah, mate, uh, I remember, well, hearing, I didn't know obviously it was directly you, but I hear, I know we got news that like that had happened. And obviously you you got told some lads from Nine were up there and obviously it was like, you know, kind Of, like, the news trickles down, but mate, what if you can mate, us? I mean, as much as you can or feel comfortable telling us, but like, what what was that like? If you even remember anything, mate,
1: yeah, of course. No, I'm completely fine talking about it now. It took a long time yeah. to get to this point. Uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, yeah, so we've been out on a patrol for probably around six hours, so and we were just on our way back in, we're literally about one kilometer away from our fob, our little base, yeah, and we'd just come to a little T junction in some mud compounds and there was three guys in front of me. And then the rest of the patrol was behind me and in front of me was a little door. There was a local that looked a bit suspicious at the time to my right hand side. Two of the guys in front of me went to search him. And then the section commander was just knelt by my side. And I, I was actually thinking, literally seconds before this moment, because there was a, a few trees to the side of me, there was a nice little trickling stream, there was a beautiful sunny day with blue sky. And I was thinking, do you know what, if this was back home, this would be a really nice walk. Yeah. Um, and then I said to the section commander that was knelt by my side, which way do you want everyone to come in, left or right? I can't remember what he said, but I turned around I just turned my head around to the guy behind me to tell him. And then it just felt like I'd been hit by a bat all over my body at once. And it was just loud ringing in me as I couldn't hear anything, couldn't see anything. I was very disorientated. I had no clue what had actually happened. Um, at the time, I was carrying an LMG light machine gun, so it was a fairly big weapon. And I looked down... That was gone out of my hands, and my arm just had a a huge hole in it, basically, and it, it was like it was petalled out like a flower, just obviously dripping blood everywhere, gushing blood out so I was a very confused and disorientated at this point I still didn't know what had what had happened, <clears throat> and it was still very dusty um and then I heard someone shouting, "Jewice, Jukes, My nickname in the army was jekes." My surname's Little, so Stu Little. That's what they, that's what they gave me when I joined Nine Squadron. Yeah. Um, so I just followed this voice shouting Stu uh, with my arm. My arm was just sort of pinned up like it was in a triangular bandage, just holding it up. It was just pinned there naturally. So I just followed this voice, and, and I seen, um our section commander Mikey from Nine Squadron, um, and he just sort of sat me down, and then I, I sort of come to terms with. There's just been an explosion. I've been injured in the explosion. Um one of the two para guys came through. He was a team medic. And between him and Mikey they gave me sort of emergency first aid and some morphine, which was great. I've actually got a nice picture that someone took straight away where I've got my fingers up, giving him a little wave with a big smile on my face, with a <laughs> blood all blood everywhere like I'm having the time in my life. Well that's That's the joys of morphine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then it took some time for the dust to settle. Nobody knew what had actually happened. I think at first it believed it was an RPG attack, but it later transpired that it was a a suicide bomber that came out in front of the door that was directly in front of me. Um, And unfortunately, as part of that incident, three guys were killed and injured myself um so as i say it was only about <clears throat> one kilometer away from the fob and we got transported back some vehicles came from the fob to pick pickers myself and the casualties up uh, and then we got back to there waited for a chinook and then we got shipped off to bastion
0: did you did you do uh what well, did you stay in bastion mate or did they get you back to was it birmingham at the time wasn't it for us
1: yeah, that's right. So in Bastion, I had some sort of emergency surgery um, and that was quite funny because I got there and the nurse that was looking after me, she went, okay, I'm going to give you some more morphine. So she put some morphine in me <clears throat> and I said, she went, she asked me, is that okay? Can you feel anything? I went, that's a lot better. Thank you. And she went, do you want some more? I went, yeah, okay. then." So she put some more in and she asked me again. How's that? Would you like some more? I went, uh, yeah, I'll go for some more. So she put some more in, and then she went, how's that? Do you need any more? I went, by this point I couldn't speak, just slightly nodding my head, and she gave me a little bit more. And the last thing I said to the doctor, am I going to lose my arm? She just put her hand on my shoulder and said, we'll do our best, and then then I went under. Um, And then the next thing, I woke up on an aeroplane we would flown to, I think it was Kandahar and then back to UK, yeah, to Birmingham. Um, I was back there within 24 hours. We so had the initial surgery and then off to Birmingham. And then while I was on Birmingham, it was a mixed ward at the time. So we had, it was a mixture of civilians and military, which was uh, very strange, very strange indeed, because there was myself, there was another two guys that had been blown up. They they was injured by IEDs and there's this uh three power sniper that had been shot in the leg so we'd sort of uh, get together each day but then it was just like a normal hospital ward with everybody else um which was a very strange feeling um and then while i was on the hospital all of us either got mrsa or a strep infections so we'd have to get quarantined in a room by ourselves no visitors so yeah it was really really rubbish time <laughs>
0: Yeah, mate. Other than obviously the physical challenge of, you know, like what you've been through, you know, <coughs> in your arm and, you know, the post-operation and stuff, like uh, mentally, mate, what were you, obviously, you know, you've just, at one moment you're with the lads and, you know, you're kind of on patrol, you've been doing what you've been doing, you're living that lifestyle, you know, when you're deployed to now, you're, a, you're a separated, mate. Uh, I don't know, can you remember or did you feel like, man, what's going on with the lads, you know, like I need to find out what's happening? Did you have any kind like them feelings?
1: Yeah, it was it was bizarre, wasn't it? because you it was twenty four hours ago that I was in Afghanistan with my friends, with my family, doing what we do, and now I'm in a hospital bed in a vast amount of pain, wondering what's gonna to happen to me, what's happening with lads, am I gonna be okay? Are they gonna be okay? It was very, very overwhelming at the time. Um The doctors at the time did want to give me a lot of medication to sort of take some of that pain and awareness away, but I've always refused painkillers. Um, Don't like the way they can take your ability to think and feel away despite how, whatever situation you are in. So, I mean, I did have fairly regular contact with certain people from the military and especially guys that were based still back uh, back at the barracks in England. They'd yeah. come out and see me fairly, fairly regularly, to be honest. So, and they'd update me with how the guys were getting on in Afghanistan stills. Um, and then through them, we used to send the odd letter here and there just to keep in touch. So, yeah, it was nice. But I think there's a bit like Chinese whispers, I believe, when I got injured, there was rumours that I was killed. That's something I radioed through to somebody else. Um, Obviously, I was very, very fortunate compared to the three lads from 2Para.
0: Yeah mate. Um yeah, so man, whirlwind of twenty-four hours, buddy. Um overall, mate, how did the how did the operation go though? Like with your arm, like at that time, did they manage to kind of get it set or did you have to do multiple operations?
1: It, do you know what, Benny? It couldn't have gone better, to be honest. The <clears throat> they did an in, initial operation in Afghanistan just to I'm assuming just to clean the wound and seal it. Yeah. And then when I got back to the UK I went under for an operation. They did a skin graft, so they took skin from my left thigh and they put that onto my right arm. Um, they had to take a lot of my skin away from my right arm. My right my right forearm now looks a bit like a ham shank or a shaved chicken. Um, <laughs> um, but the skin graft took, I think it was 100% the first time, so I had to have no further um, further operations or skin grafts. Got it. But then it was just a case of, because there was so much severe nerve damage, I couldn't move my fingers or my hand at all at this point. So from there I went to Headley Court Rehabilitation Centre. So that's where anyone from the military with any physical or mental injuries um or conditions will go to be rehabilitated and get back fighting fit. So I went there and I sort of spent in total, I think it was around 18 months. Um and what they do at Head the Court is really, really amazing work. The staff there, they're passionate, they're empathetic, they're very competent in the roles, and they make it a very joyful experience to be there. They've got they've 100% got your best, best interests at heart. So that was really nice to be a part of. And you, know, you meet people from all walks of life in the military there with a whole range of injuries, both physical and mental. And you're all there for the same reason, to get better. Um, so it was nice, it really was and although some of the rehabilitation process was very tedious I think I spent around six months just picking up pennies and putting them into a penny jar or pushing my fingers into plasticine to build the muscles back up bit by bit, scratch to scratch Um, but it worked and I got to a point where physically I was in a much better place and slowly but surely they let me go back to the barracks and then for a small period of time then i come back for another couple of months for rehabilitation and sort of failure back into full military time in the barracks
0: Mate, the obviously the physical aspect to get that arm working and obviously get your body kind of back you know working as it was prior to the the, the incident but, uh, mate, tell us a little bit about that mental challenge. Like, did you have... I mean, there's, there had to be a lot of ups and downs, mate, didn't there?
1: Yeah, there really was. And it, yeah. it was pretty instant, to be honest. I knew something was wrong. And it's no surprise, because when you go through something as traumatic as that... Uh, it, at that time, it wasn't necessarily what happened to me. It was seeing the other three guys in the condition they was in. That's what was sort of imprinting in my mind at the time. Um. And yeah, that trauma, that stays deep down, that's going nowhere for a long, long time. And at the time, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, But I became very angry, very angry because I was full of emotion, full of trauma. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to cope with it at the time. So it was very difficult. And I started drinking very heavily, poisoning my body just to give me some sort of uh, escapism at the time. And then violence was my other way to uh, vent what was going on inside myself. So yeah, I caused I caused a lot of trouble. I was in a very dark place, and it's a bit of a cliche, you know, when you're not when you're not uh, in a good place, you you lash out at people that you usually aren't doing anything to cause a conflict whatsoever, but you're you're looking for a conflict, you're looking for a situation where you can express that conflict. Um, I think when you've been on tour and you're you used to kinetic situations, you're you're in fight or flight mode, coming back to England regardless yeah. of any traumatic incidents is difficult enough adjusting to normal life again. But especially yeah. when you for, for those of us that are unfortunate to go through traumatic events or to witness it or to be a part of, it's um that's just amplified more. And so yeah, I was in a very really bad place, I think, when I got released back to the barracks I think in the first month I was arrested about three times in a month, it was um, pretty bad. Yeah, and the military sent um, a psychiatrist out to me and she asked me what was going on and I said, look. So I explained what had happened on tour and I said when I'm I'm drinking a lot now to, it makes me feel better at the time. And when I drink, uh, I can start having flashbacks and emotions come, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm, I'm lashing out at people. If, if they look at me funny, I'll, I'll lash out. and." It just yeah. gets a bit silly. And her advice at the time was stop drinking. I said, All "Right, okay. And she went, if these thoughts come up, I'd really advise you just to not go into it. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. And hopefully the these thoughts will go away. Now at the time, I knew that was very poor advice. And considering it was coming from a military psychiatrist, I thought it was pretty pretty shocking. So at that point, I sort of... Um, I give up hope to be honest because I knew I needed help and I thought this was my lifeline and to receive that advice um it was it was quite yeah, disappointing. Quite disappointing. And then so I just fouled out of control even more. I carried I carried on drinking, I carried on being angry. You know, I was I'd lose friendships, I'd destroyed relationships because I was exper- experiencing these emotions which would trigger negative thoughts and that would trigger further negative emotions. Just a whirlwind, yeah. a whirlwind of nevati- negativity. Um and then it was about twelve months after that phase that I was coming we was getting ready to go back on tour again.
0: Yeah, mate, so you've in that period, man, you've been through a whirlwind of uh events and emotions and then mate, even I didn't see nothing. I mean, I seen some stuff, but obviously nothing, nowhere near like what you'd experienced. And obviously being the one directly impacted, but man, I kind of went through that same thing, man. When I got back, I was I was charged up. You know that adrenaline was at ten. So same thing, mate. Mixing alcohol and then that little looking for confrontation or thinking yeah. it's a combative situation, and I'm and I'm amped up, ready to whatever attack. Man, I think I got arrested about. <sighs> Three or four times, mate. Maybe five yeah. times. And, and never once, even when drinking prior to going to Afghan. Never once did I find myself even being looked at by the police. You know, I was always mm-hmm. like a pretty good lad. You know, but uh, yeah, went from I went through some stuff too, mate. Not trying to say it was anything similar, but just yeah, like man, what's going on with me? But um, you know, I think my thing was just you know again controlling <clears throat> the alcohol and, and the thing in England, mate, is. And uh, you know, especially in the world that we were operating in, most of the time there's a drink involved, isn't there? If yeah. You're like, oh, hey, come on, all right, mate, let's go for a chat. But you go, you go to a pub or you grab a couple of cans and you'll sit maybe in in someone's room and you bang a few cans out. And like you said, if you're having a few drinks and it makes you kind of feel better, but then you get to that point where, and I've had it, mate, where emotionally, like I'm pretty uh, tight. But then once I, have, if I at the time if I had a few drinks. These emotions had come from nowhere, yeah. And you kind of mix that up, mate. It can, yeah. It's a bad, it's a bad cocktail in it for stuff to happen. And then I, I became in that period, mate. I became a pain in the arse to everyone around me, especially like Staffy. You know, I remember being in front of the fucking CEO, mate, a couple of times. And I think I was fortunate that I was just really good when I was sober at my job. That you know, by the skin of my teeth, there's someone seen something in me. But um, yeah, I had a, I had a more than enough wake up calls to sort myself out. But again, not saying that was anything close to what you've done. But mate, out to kind of lead into that, mate, you've you've gone through this and potentially still experiencing these emotions, mate, and not really got any clear help, it seems. And now you're getting ready to go back out, like, mate, what what is that like?
1: Well, at the time, um, I was still in a mindset where. I felt like I've been beaten and I had something to prove. So I was actually really looking forward to going back to Afghanistan, despite everything that happened and I volunteered to be part of a search team. So obviously we'd go out, the primary role of that team was to go out and find IDs that had been buried or hidden by the Taliban to stop some of our troops getting blown up. And I thought who better to do that role than someone that's been blown up. I'm going to be extra cautious. So I volunteered for the search team, so we did the search training. Uh, That was all good. And then, yeah, we we deployed. I think it was Eric 10, I think it was, 2010
0: we won. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So was that, again, like you mentioned, you going back out there, mate, was that almost like there were some unanswered questions maybe, or like you said, that little bit of a challenge where you're like, I need to almost face my... F- I'm not saying you was fearful, but maybe, you know, like I people say, face your fears. Was you going out there, mate, and just that, that was going to answer a lot of questions for you?
1: Yeah, that's how it felt. Like I said, it it felt like I had something to prove. I didn't know what in what context that meant at the time. Yeah. But um, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. It's facing your fears. Uh, at the time, you know, going out there, the nerves did kick in, obviously, and the first time we got into contact... The nerves kicked in even more, um, on that tour, but it soon settled down. And although I knew I had a lot of issues from my first tour, the worst was yet to come by far. It it wasn't until after this tour. This tour was the worst tour by far compared to the first one.
0: And in in what
1: way back? It was just very kinetic, very kinetic indeed. So we was coming into regular contact. It was quite a long tour, I think we did about seven months in total. And there was uh, just a couple of events that were fairly traumatic to be a part of. Um, I was awarded an MID from that second tour for for, for a couple of things. Obviously, we had a two IC, um, Bodgie, he was the triple amputee. Uh, He lost both of his legs and one of his arms. Um, I'd given him his uh, initial treatment and then another guy that had been Jot through the stomach and the body armor with an armor piece around on top of a little hut when I was building an observation post. So patched him up and sort of uh, helped out with the situation and that. And yeah, it was very, very traumatic. Very traumatic tour. That was very bad.
0: Yeah, mate. Um, coming back from that second tour, and then you know, like you go through the um, mate, what's that phase called? You know, basically you get loads of leave. Decompression.
1: Decompression in Cyprus.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah so you, I mean, you do Cyprus, but then you get back to the unit, or you you pretty much you get thinned out, or you for maybe I don't know, like six to eight weeks potentially. I think it was a long time when it you get to just go home because you have got so much leave. Yeah, I don't yeah. You went on call. Did that happen for you, mate? Like, did you get yes. to go home
1: Yeah. So we did the decompression in Cyprus, and that's just yeah. basically a, a piss up with the lads. Um, do a bit of sailing on a little sailing boat, and then yeah, you go back to England, and then yeah, go back home for a, I think, like I said, about six six to eight weeks in total. Um, and again, going from such a long period of time in that, in that environment to coming back home, I was talking about this the other day. My partner at the time, um, she was getting really irritated about the washing machine being broken, and I could feel the rage building up inside me because her issue seemed so minor compared to real world situations but you know i didn't understand how to resonate with other people's perspectives at this point so any sort of little thing would trigger me so easily and and then i realized you know my anger was so much worse and not just the anger but I was experiencing other sort of negative feelings So I was feeling like I was quite depressed and I started to hear voices in my head, um, started to get a lot of nightmares of of different levels. And then I started to get day terrors as well. So it was very, at the time I started to get very uncomfortable in just generally being alive and I knew something was going on. I really did. And that led me to actually, because I finished that tour, um, I now at that point and realise that that's my time in the military over. I thought I'd done what I wanted to do. Plus, with me spending such a long time in rehabilitation after the first tour, my generation had then gone to get promoted. So it really slowed my career down. So in my head yeah. at the time, I thought I need to go back. I need to face my fears. I need to prove this point, whatever it was at the time that I felt. And and then I felt like I, my time in the military was finished. Um, so I left the army. But I was like, really, at wit's end, what to do? Someone mentioned maritime security, Um, I I had a friend that was in Nine squad that was currently doing that role, and that's basically just going on fuel tankers, commercial vessels, super yachts all over the world and just protecting them from pirate attacks. I thought, well, that's pretty when They've only got guns. I'm not going to get blown up again. So I did the necessary courses for that. Told my mum, leaving the army, she said, oh, Martin, I'm so, so happy for you. But I'm doing this job straight. Oh, Jesus Christ. Why can't you not get a normal job? <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the time, you know, the maritime security, it was a really good transition because you're still working with ex-military guys. You're still in a, um, a hostile environment. That threat's still there, which I needed at the time, because coming back to England, away from that hostile situation, I felt so out of place. That's when all my, at the time, I now know it's PTSD, started to kick in. And as soon as I was back away on tour or uh, a job, and he had a gun in my hand, twenty four seven. I was fine. I was peaceful. I was home. That's what I loved doing at the time.
0: Yeah, mate. Plus, um, kind of touching on that too, it's it's that loss of identity in it, or that potential loss. Like you've gone from, you know, you're you're a, you're a soldier in the British Army. You've been on tour. You've kind of, you know, you're at the height of operating at, you know, what we do within our job role. You come back to England, and you just. You're just another person, like, you know, to the average just walking around, maybe the shopping mall or, you know, whatever, you're in the pub or you might be in a, you know, you just, you just, you know, Martin Little or the, everyone doesn't know who you are, what you've done. And then as you leave that, you know, that career that you've been in for, you know, quite a few years now, you know, like it is it, it, an easy transition. And then and in that time, I remember a lot of people, mate, it was like, yeah, close protection. That's the thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of find, like I said, you find yourself in an environment that you're comfortable with. You're around people that understand who you are, what you've done. You understand them. So you almost kind of, you keep your identity for a little bit longer. But you're just, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a civilian in a way. But um, just to kind of touch back, mate, and and then we'll get back to this point, is... Tell us a couple of things mate if you can like you know just reflecting on your army and gen uh, so your army career in general mate tell us a couple of good things just you know stuff where you like man that was the that was the highlight or that was something cool that i've got to do that i'd probably never have experienced
1: oh we did loads of good stuff um it wasn't all doom and gloom just the lifestyle yeah. itself for me at the time it was amazing because you had a you was with a good bunch of lads it was more like family you go out together, you'd socialise together, you felt part of a unit and you was part of a unit and you get to see some amazing things and do some amazing things. Um, you'd always surprise yourself with how far you could push yourself physically. So that was always a, a good sense of achievement and accomplishment. And you go to some beautiful places. You know, we went to France. We did uh, a day's parachuting to get our French wings at the time. And then we spent the rest of the time there, I think another week, just going snowboarding and skiing for a week or pay, boy, or pay by for the army and um, pay for by the army sorry and yeah it was an amazing time that's you know, just one example you get to go to different units different places and exercise or you go to different tours and yeah it was perfect it was nice
0: did you um did you guys get any good adventure training after harry kate no, no, I didn't actually. <laughs> yeah, so I think got... the, I think
1: some packages were wrong, like the skydiving in California was on, but I never, I never entertained it at the time.
0: Right. Oh, well, it obviously was some of the stuff you were going through. But yeah, I remember, mate, a custody lob I got was, um, I did a week of sailing, mate, around uh, Denmark. So we start, we started off in Copenhagen. It was like two groups So one kind of started in Kiel, Germany. Yeah. They sailed around, met us in Copenhagen, they jumped on a flight and went back to England. We arrived, took over the boats, and then mate, we well, yes, yeah, six, seven days, mate, just on the waters every night, pull up at a different mm. place, you know, get on the lash with the lads, you know, have fun, get back on the boat and then bounce to another place. And again, stuff like that, mate, I'd never have done if I had you know, joined the yeah. joined the army and that. Um, yeah, which was cool. Um from well, from transitioning out, mate. You know, so you you just touched you was doing like, you know, protect close maritime protection. What what was the biggest other than the the physical stuff, mate? But and we've kind of touched on the mental stuff, but maybe again, even just you as a person, mate, are you what's changed, mate, since the you know, the young guy that joined up, you know, the basic training to now you're you're all you know, you're a man now. You're established with who you are a little bit like mentally, mate. What's the difference?
1: Uh, I think I've gone from a very lost, scared little boy to yeah. a very damaged, dangerous man. It was a it was a transition from something um, pretty bad to something quite terrible. Yeah, it really were. Um, it was a very difficult time in my life because I didn't know how to function. This, the angle was always there, no matter where I were no matter what situation I was in I'd always focus on a negative perspective I was always quick to jump to um, any sort of conflict I was always in fight or flight mode it just just would not switch off and during the um, period that was in the maritime security that was for about six years after the army that was when my PTSD got the worst because during the back end of uh, my time doing the security that's when my father passed away now he'd had cancer I think Three times in total. The third time, I was in Sri Lanka. I just finished come off a ship, and uh, I got a call from my mother. She said, "Oh, your dad's cancer's back." I said, oh, "Right, okay." I said, "What well, they said?" She went, "Well, it's pretty bad this time. They said he's got twelve months left." Plus, I said, "Right, okay." I spoke to my in-house manager at the time, and um, he arranged to get me on a flight back home the next day. So I was back home, and then when I got home, he was he was gone in, in three months. He was hitting pretty hard. And it took my father's passing to, so apparently PTSD, if you imagine a bookshelf with all the books for different mental health issues, you know, when you go to sleep, every book goes back in the case. Apart from PTSD, that one stays out. So the effects of PTSD are constantly there. Daytime, nighttime, sleep or not, you're always going to get hit by something negative. Yeah. Um and it took the passing of my father. It was like the final, the final fuse on a bomb and that erupted everything in my mind. And that's when the PTSD got so severe. I was having voices telling me to cut myself. I was, um, abused myself heavily with drugs at this time. I got massively addicted to try and numb the pain, to try and give me some sense of normality. I was at anything to escape from it all. Um, And then it got to a point where I did try to take my own life. Fortunately, I'm slated to tell the tale, very fortunate. And, and then I knew something needed to happen. So I, I I sort of sorted out a letter and went back to the security job. And as soon as I was back overseas with a gun in my hand, I was fine. As soon as I come back to England, it all starts again. Mm -hmm. And then. So through this time in my life, it was almost, well, how I look back on this, I try and take a positive perspective on everything now. If my father didn't pass away, I would have still been in a certain cycle. It took my father's passing to bring everything up to the surface for me. And then I could, so I was aware of what was actually the the pure damage, what was going on. And then I was back on the ship. So in reality, I needed to finish that job, but I was honest, I felt safe in that job. So something else ultimately needed to happen to bring me back home and then i found out I was going to be a father so then i knew straight away okay this is enough now 12 years doing this it's time to come home and then that's when i relocated back to england full time and i became a father to my daughter isla who's um, six now so it's strange how life sort of pans out and i do believe that a lot of this is is deeply woven into the tapestry of life It took my father passing to trigger something, it took the birth of my daughter to bring me back to UK, back to regular life if you'll call it that, and then I was able to face everything head on, and don't get me wrong, I was in a very, very bad place, like I said, I've been suicidal, I went through a period of self-harming, I've used drugs for a long, long time, Um, I caused a lot of pain and trauma to other people along the way because I was in such a dark and negative place. And I realised how much trauma I had running through me from head to toe. Uh,
0: It was a very difficult phase, and it seems to me. And I'm again not trying to speak for you, and you know, obviously enlighten us a little bit more. But I'd say as men, and especially with some of the stuff we've done, we, if there's something troubling us, we put it to the back. We try and, you know, we put it all the way deep down inside, try and almost bury it to a point. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, I know for me, I was at a stage that uh, so if I'd had one too many sherbets, once that emotions or that whatever it could open up and escape, like who knows what type of Ben it could, you know, emerge in a way in that moment. And like I said, um it seems that you've just mentioned it that, that with the passing of your father, that was that point where it was like, right, it's time to open up all this stuff, get it out in the open, and let's actually deal with it. Because when you're away at that maritime job, mate, and then, you know, in and out, it's almost like you can bury that stuff and put it to the back of your head and you kind of focus on the moment. But in a way, that's not, it's not the reality that you can operate in 24-7 because you're only there for a certain time. And then when you do come home, it's like, again, how, how do you function in, normal civilization as as we know it so yeah mate it seems like you've got well you got to that junction and it's like right it's time to sort it out um mate tell us if you can and i know it's obviously probably been a long journey but you've mentioned you know the uh birth of your daughter um what what was that point or what's that journey been like mate to you know as, as I'd say, self discovery and then finding that true health, you know, getting away from not doing negative things to your body. i.e., you know, drink drugs, you know, maybe other things. Now it's like, how do I give back and get the most from my body?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. In what you said, first of all, mate, it's, it's no wonder why there's so many people suffering in the world with mental health issues. There's unhealthy relationships. People caught folks at work, They caught folks at home they're angry, depressed, stressed, whatever, it's because we've all we've all experienced unconditional love in our lifetimes, we've all experienced trauma, it's just part of our journey, and it's how you perceive that, and how heightened your awareness is, which will dictate how you can act on, on it, and I remember at the time, when I was at my worst, I had psychiatrists, friends, family, all trying to reach out, and for whatever reason, there was just a wall in front of me, I couldn't accept that help for whatever reason. I think I hadn't hit rock bottom yet for whatever reason. So I couldn't accept that help if I wanted to. It just I couldn't entertain the idea. I just thought this was me. It's who I am. It is what it is. And and then one day I had this insight, this Eureka moment that just go for a walk outside, get outside. And so this one day I went out for a nice walk outside in my local woodlands and I came back home feeling absolutely amazing. And I didn't understand why I felt so good. So it was, a, it was definitely a calling. So then I started doing it again and again and again and again. This feeling just started to amplify. I felt more peaceful. And then I realized that I was in the present moment. And now when we go through trauma in life, we experience negative thoughts. It's always from the past to the future. We're reliving things we've been through or we've done to somebody. Oh, we're worried about something in the future that someone we're going to go and see a situation we've got to go in. We might be worried about work that we don't enjoy going to. And when we're in the past or the future, obviously we're not present and that's where our, our true, our true self is as a present being. So I then sort of did a bit of research, how I can push this feeling further. Then I came across different things like pranayama, otherwise known as breathwork, cold water therapy and. Started experiencing sort of these practices. I really got my hands, uh, teeth into them, and I felt instantly better. Now I did see the odd psychiatrist before this, and mm-hmm. for me personally, I didn't have a lot of help. I never took any medication to sort antidepressants and things like that. It just never sort of resonated with me. So all um, my turning point in life was down to the simplest of things: nature, being outside in nature learning how to breathe in different ways and going in cold water now at the time it was very simple tools i didn't know i didn't understand in depth what they meant and how it was doing what it was doing to me i didn't really care at the time i thought this is great i'm going to keep on doing it and then i realized you know i was a much more peaceful person i was i started to respond to situations instead of reacting to situations and then my awareness you know i was still very much aware that the trauma was there however I was able to be present and just be aware of what was going on in the outside world and what was going on inside me, um, which was a really beautiful place to to start being in. And, and then I just started, um, it just got better and better. And then I started to have a newfound appreciation for life, a newfound appreciation for myself, learning how to love myself, love my body. So I got to a point where, this is several years down the line, you know, I don't drink alcohol anymore, I eat a very healthy diet, I maintain a healthy body, and I've had a lot of realisations and it's been a very transformational journey, and I now realise that everything I've been through in my life, from being bullied as a child, to being blown up, to being through so many traumatic and dark places, it's all evolved me into what I'm doing with my life now and what I'm devoting my life to.
0: Definitely, mate. And um, just from what the stuff you've told me, and obviously, you know, um, again, not not knowing all of these details about you, mate, is awesome. It, what what the word that comes to mind, mate, is warrior. You're kind of you're displaying <laughs> that warrior mindset, as in most people, and, I, and I'm in the business of, you know, health and fitness and, you know, training people and that. So, you know, I kind of help people. And I, I love the mindset side of it more than the physical too, because I think yeah both... They both correlate together, and you, and you can add spiritual in there too. But um most people, mate, with all the stuff you've gone through and experienced, that's that's a reasonable excuse to say, "Hey, I'm a victim. This has happened to me. I'm giving up," and you know, and this is the reason why. And most people around them would be like, "Do you know what?" They'll put an arm around them, and say, "You're right," and you can take the easy way out. You've 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 developed by getting yeah. out in nature and understanding and, you know, through just self-learning and discovery, and you've, you've kept that warrior spirit about yourself. And now mate, you, you've embodied, you know, from everyone from the outside, you know, I guarantee, you, you know, when they look at your physique, they look at the way you talk, they look at, you know, you've give up alcohol, you, you know, you eat good, all these simple things, but now enhances you to be the best version for everyone else and to give and help people, you know, be the best version for themselves. Cause you've been there and you've done it, mate. You're not, you didn't just do a course, and you know, you're not just on IG, you know, following every other fact. Like you're living proof, and you can show people, you know, be an example, which is which is awesome, mate. And uh, kind of touching, which I think is great to touch on, is you know, health, happiness to healing, mate you know, I've been excited to, you know, learn a lot more about this. Obviously I follow you on social media and stuff and I'm seeing all the great stuff you're doing. Mate, tell us just a little bit. What's, what, what was the angle of this, mate? You know, was it, was it because of what you had done for yourself? You was like, man, I, I need to, I can help other people experience what I'm experiencing. Was that it?
1: Okay. So when I first started on my sort of transformational journey, I was spending a lot of time while camping in the mountains. Obviously, I'd upload posts to social media. And I had a lot of friends saying, you know what? This is amazing. You should do this as a business. I didn't entertain the idea for about two years. And then, you know, the same people kept saying, you try this as a business, people would pay you to take them out. And I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, If it fails, it fails. It doesn't matter. I'll learn from it and evolve from it. And um, so with the help of a very good friend, I invested... Uh, a lot of money, so I on on my retreats now I provide all the equipment people need for the, a wild camping experience for the wilderness well being retreats as we now call them, um, and I just tried it and I put some posts out there. I had a great response, and uh, at the time uh, the business was actually called Pegasus Trips because Pegasus, as you know, is a very airborne <laughs> emblem and yeah. logo. I was I was still very attached to the military when I first set this up. Um, I didn't really know how, what else to word it. And then soon into that, I realised that there's actually more than just taking people while camping. There's actually a lot of stuff that I need to be um, helping people with or showing them that may change their perspective on life if they're in a bad place. Because I feel that you know, when we go through dark places and dark times in our life and we come out on the other side, then it's our duty to use those experiences to help other people that may be going through the same thing because it's relative People feel much more comfortable talking to somebody that's been through a similar experience, yeah. and I realized that and this wasn't coming from an egotistical point of view, but it's it's a good story to be shared for people because it it can give some people hope, and I only want to see the best for anybody in the world that's suffering from any issue whatsoever, and there is always light in the darkness to be found um so obviously i I thought right, what do I need what do I call it? What do I want people? What do I want for myself? Okay, well, I want to be healthy. I just want to be happy in life, and I want to be healed from all the trauma. I thought health, happiness, and healing—perfect. Um, some people call it triple H. <laughs> it's a bit, a bit shorter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the birth of health, happiness, and healing, and and even you know up until very recently, we've we've had a lot of transformations and realizations about what we need to be doing um, on these retreats. So we now hold, uh, facilitate these wilderness well-being retreats. Now, during these retreats, we hold different exercises. So we have mindset, transformational mindset exercises. We deliver transformational teachings. We give people in depth understanding about pranayama or breath work, cold water therapy, so people know exactly what they need to know about it, how to do it safely. And then we practice these beautiful techniques. We practice yoga. We provide all the healthy food they could need for the retreats all the equipment they could need for a wild camping experience and what the um of health happens and healing is now. Obviously, we, we're a community of like-minded individuals just dedicated to a life of personal development and growth. And, you know, we follow certain ways of life and we practice different teachings and exercises. And through this, it just gives us a higher consciousness and it elevates us to a peak performance mentally physically spiritually and and we find out who our true selves are when we do this because in life i found that so many of us are conditioned to a certain way of life most of us believe that we should be born uh, eventually get to school hit the gcse's or a levels go get a nice job eventually get a mortgage marry someone have a few kids work your ass off and then hopefully when you're 65 retire and live happily ever after for a few years before you pop your clogs. And mm-hmm. it's just not the case. People you know, we we're so conditioned to the modern day society to follow certain rules and beliefs and procedures from our own parents, teachers, politicians, the media. We have to look a certain way to feel a um a state of acceptance from other people. We have to look this way. We have to get these things. When I get this car I'll be happy. When I get this house I'll be happy. It's materialistic. It's external, all happiness, true happiness comes from within. And that's the aim of health, apps, and healing. We help people grow their awareness to who they truly are connected to true selves, and then they find themselves on a path that's aligned with their true purpose. It's very simple stuff. And once you start discussing certain things, the awareness, and that will resonate with people. And it's not necessarily about learning things more time than not. It's about unlearning ways that we're conditioned to. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mate that's, mate, that's huge what you just said there. And um, kind of touching on what you said earlier too is you're, you're an example to people. You're an example. You're relatable. And everyone, when when you're talking, they know it's coming from a place where you've been there, you've done it. Not trying to say that you're the best at it, but you you have an understanding of potentially where these people are at. You can maybe see things in themselves that they don't necessarily know, or they're not even aware of. So the yeah. fact that, um, yeah, you can bring these people and, um, you know, take them through these teachings is uh, is awesome, mate. With, um, mate, with regards, so you spoke about like the mindset training, which is huge nowadays, you know, there's so many self-help books and, you know, people, Every Tom Dick and Harry is getting on a podcast now and talking about it. And, you know, I could even pretend to be put in that category, even though I don't claim to be a mindset expert. But, mate, what have you, have you, are you coming from studies? Is this kind of like what you've embodied and what makes sense to you? And you're kind of seeing it develop into like this works. Like, talk to us a little bit about how, you, how you're how developing what you do, mate. And
1: um, so, this, oh, sorry. So a lot of the teachings that we do have been designed um, by myself. And we have a couple of people in the team that have also had sort of transformational journeys and we just look at how we've grown our own awareness and what we're of where there's issues in the world, not just on an individual level, but a collective level. And then we just look at, okay, how, Would a a positive perspective improve that situation? For example, okay, well, if people have this perspective, we could change it. So for example, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life, a change of perspective can really improve your mindset, your well-being. So for example, my partner is currently going through treatments for cancer. She was diagnosed in November. She's 37, my daughter's mother. Um, the other day she was quite upset, she had a a moment where she believes she developed an eating disorder because she was only able to eat certain foods and she was seen a negative perspective. Now a change of perspective, seeing her understand that she's not got an eating disorder, it's the entire opposite. She's only eating the foods, what her body needs. She's only eating the foods that her body wants to, to fuel what she needs to be going through at the moment, to, to fuel the body with all the nutrients and vitamins that she needs and In this day and age, like I said, I was very vain with the way I looked up until um, very recently, to be honest. Um, I realized, and I now train to feel good in my mind. Aesthetics come as a byproduct if you want that. But yes, our bodies will change if we change our diet. And that's fine because, like I said, true happiness comes from within. And as long as you're creating the perfect atmosphere inside and out, you'll find yourself living a life that's much more aligned with your purpose. so a change of perspective can have a very profound effect on how you're thinking and how you're feeling and, and how your life actually goes.
0: Definitely, mate. Uh, yeah, I mean, totally, 100% with everything that you're saying. That's kind of probably in different words, but, I mean, pretty much I'm saying the same stuff to anyone that I'm involved with, mm-hmm. even just friends and family that ask me, like, how do you do this, how do you do that? And I tell them it all starts with, you know, what what makes you feel better inside and doing good like you know positive things not just like i said trying to look a certain way or like you said get that get elevate your status within society like what why does society dictate who i am you yeah know, as long as i'm a good person and i'm doing good things and i'm helping people and i'm looking out for them around me and i'm just putting positive energy out there like i don't need um gratification from anyone else because oh i live in a certain neighborhood or i drive a car that everyone yeah thinks, oh, look at him; he must be doing good. Yeah, I think that's the unfortunately that's the modern day society that we're in, and everyone's chasing chasing a status just to say, look at me. Whereas if you probably peeled back their surface and dug in, they've probably got a lot of things happening too, mate, which they don't want to they don't want people to know about. Which it's ex- um, exactly that, mate,
1: and I can really sympathise with many people because. It 's through no fault of their own that they're acting that way it's just that they've not been shown how to deal with the trauma or the energies that are going on inside their own beings yeah um, they're so de- detached from who they truly are so they're stuck in the, the in the ego they act from the thinking mind they act they react to situations instead of responding from a peaceful place they 'll try to belittle people because they're projecting their own emotions and that's just what that's just what anyone will do. Until they resolve and they connect to their true self and grow their awareness, it's um, it's just a vicious circle. But um, it's a beautiful thing that when you know when you're helping people in whatever you're doing, and I believe this is how you can live a happy life. That's fantastic. But happiness shouldn't be the end goal. You should be using all that happiness as rocket fuel to find fulfillment. And for me, fulfillment is achieved by giving back. Giving back to um your friends your family your local community on a a wider scale as wide as you can spread that net that's where fulfillment comes in and obviously that's what we're trying to achieve here it's by helping people grow their awareness and just find a bit of peace in their life
0: that's awesome buddy so um just for anyone listening to this mate like and, and and tell us you know a couple of good maybe stories but like when someone's gone on one of your you know um like courses or you know they've got out there into the wilderness and kind of done like a weekend or if there's anything longer than that mate tell us just a couple of positive things or stuff that you keep seeing happen again and again like the changes in people or them them buzzwords that people like, you know man you've changed my life like you know okay. tell us a couple.
1: so i've had a quite a few times where i've talked certain people on um retreats and you know, part of the retreats is we push ourselves physically up the mountains because in return, we push ourselves mentally. And there's an interesting concept called Kensho versus Satori moments. And Kensho is growth through pain and Satori moments is growth through insights. So I mentioned having a Eureka moment um, a while ago. So my Eureka moment, that was a, a standing out point in my life was Go for a walk outside. That was a Eureka moment. It was growth through insight. That's what changed my life. Realizing that passion for the outdoors was going to save my life and help me help other people as well along the way. Now, so um control moments are growth through pain. So when we're in a period of suffering, um, like I said before, there's light in the darkness, we'll always grow from that pain. It's just how you perceive what's going on at the time. And once you if you realize that you're in a control moment, you re, you realize that you're in a period of pain, a period of suffering, a period of misery, just take comfort in knowing that it's happening for a reason and you will grow from that pain and and just see the positive perspective while you're in a negative situation, yeah? Um, so part of the retreats, we push ourselves physically and, you know, I get a lot of people that physically aren't in the best shape of their lives, but they come in the future regardless, which I think is amazing. And sometimes we just need to give each other that little gentle nudge in life And when Mm -hmm. I give people the motivation to get to the top of that mountain while they're carrying the big rucksacks with all the camping equipment in, they swear to God that they could not do it at the bottom. There's a lot of panting, a lot of puffing, and a lot of swearing goes on, don't get me wrong. But when they get to the top of that mountain, there's been so many people that have had revelations and they they, they cry because they're so happy about what they've achieved and quite rightly so. And I absolutely love being able to witness that. It's so beautiful And it gives people um, a newfound sense of appreciation for themselves. It it gives them a newfound sense of peace and purpose and energy. And then they're going to be more productive. That energy spreads out to family. Relationships improve. They're more Mm -hmm. productive at work itself. It has such a snowball effect in a great way. So that's always um, a good one. And and then actually the beginning of this week, I had a, a really nice message from a guy that came on uh, one of our walks we held over the Christmas time and I've um, spent a bit of time with him doing breathwork healing sessions and delivering some teachings and he messaged me and it was something along the lines of, just wanted to let you know I bought myself a real camera set up this week. I think it's ego or pride that's held me back from getting it so far, but hey ho, this is me, this is what I want to do, I'm not bothered anymore. For the first time in literally ever it, i've felt peace and it all, all down to yourself and the teachings that you delivered my awareness is growing on who i truly am uh, i'm a much more peaceful person and i'll be eternally eternally grateful and to read those <laughs> words it was literally exactly what we're trying to achieve um i was almost boiled up with tears how happy i felt for this man and uh, because he'd found peace he found purpose and he was Delving into his passion, which was photography, but he's shunned it all his life because he's come from a rough background, you know, he's done a bit of bouncing work, so he had that sort of persona to to uphold. And and now he's just embracing his creative side, he's embracing his passion, embracing his true self, and and that's what life is all about.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, the fact that, like I said, you're helping all different types of people, and you know, I try to tell people too is, um, there's a lot of untapped potential that everyone leaves on the table to, to whatever to whatever level. And it could be, like I said, it don't always just have to be a physical element, you know, it could be that particular career choice or, or you know, oh, I'm I'm not gonna continue educating myself because I just work a nine to five and you know, I, I pay my bills, I'm happy in that lifestyle, which hey, if that's if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But I think people like me and you too, mate. like I said, in my words is we see untapped potential in everyone. And by the way that we operate and the things that we may do, we help people discover new things about themselves where they, they just need that external source to kind of push them in the right direction. And what I tell a lot of my clients is it's not about me like yeah I want to have a good reputation because it's good for my business but it's not I don't I don't want to walk around with my chest out saying that was all me no I just guide you you do the work but you're the one that's on the journey I'm just alongside watching it
1: exactly and it's it's not about us it's not at all no. um, I see what I do on a much bigger picture now don't get me wrong there's a lot of people that I know that do very similar things and their ultimate aim is to help people, put people in a better place, or plant a little seed so they can grow into something beautiful. For me, it doesn't matter whether someone comes to me or anybody else, because I'm looking at a collective as a human race. I want to see the world improve outright. I'm not really bothered if people book onto somebody else's retreat or book onto mine. It's the fact that they're going to it is all that matters. Everything else will pan out as it should be, and what will be will be.
0: Definitely, mate, and um, kind of like just kind of touch on the business side of it, mate. Like, you know, how how's it actually been for you, mate? Like, are you, are you are you noticing a difference? As in, is there a lot of demand for this type of stuff out there from people?
1: Yeah, there really is. It's growing, it's growing and growing, Benny. Um, and the way we've sort of rejigged how we're delivering things with the teachings and the exercises, um, and really focusing on the mindset as well. As the body, um, yeah. it, it's it's given us the whole package to really give... So we're explaining it as you no, know, it's going to be a transformational journey when you come in our retreats because you're going to learn a lot of stuff about you, what you need to know, and a lot of stuff that you don't need to know or need to unlearn. Sorry. Um, and there is a very high demand for it, and I absolutely love it. It's it feels like I'm on holiday every time I do it, and that's why I know it's aligned with my purpose because it I'm so deeply. In love with what I do and how we do it, and obviously, to meet so many beautiful people that potentially could be in a very dark place or have been in a dark place, and then to see them improve in their own lives, well, that's that's all the job satisfaction you could ever ask for.
0: And then, mate, once say someone's been on a retreat, do you do you stay connected with them, or is there a way that, like, through them teachings, if someone wants to, come, like, not let's say they've driven up from like London, as an example, is there a way that they can stay connected with you, mate, and kind of continue doing stuff? Or is the programs that you kind of do, you know, like like long distance stuff?
1: Well, at the minute, um, we do run sort of transformational mindset programs. So we work with people on a one-to-one basis. Um, but, you know, outside of business services, if you'll call it that, um, you know, we stay in regular contact with anyone that wants to stay in regular contact as long as yeah. they want to we're always available on the phone emails we're currently having the website revamped that'll have a blog and a, and a chat page on there which will be great and, and we're going to be setting up sort of a community groups on social media we have all social media pages uh, already obviously but community group chats where we can just upload regular content and engage with people on a one one basis because yeah it's it's nice when people come on the retreats they'll get a lot from it yes But it can be easy to go back to that day-to-day life and lose um, sight of things you might have understood on a retreat. And so it's nice just to keep in touch with people till they're 100% happy. And then, you know, and see where that goes. And if they need any assistance with anything else, then yeah, of course, we're always there because we, I say we're a growing community. It's more like a growing family. That's, it's a very friendly and family feel to what we're What we're trying to achieve, we're all equal. So we technically we are all family, aren't
0: we? Oh yeah, definitely, mate. Um, Yeah, uh, the yeah, like you just said, we're all we're all equal. We're all family. Um, That's the that's like the environment that again people could be lacking at home. You know what I mean? Or Mm -hmm. within their life, they and then when they come into a group of people, or they just even if it's like one to one with someone like yourself, and they leave there like and they can. Someone told me this, uh, a physical therapist that I work with in town. Uh, and I don't want to mess this up. And he. And again, this might be a famous saying, but it's almost like people don't care about what you have to say until they know that you care. So once people, and people know when you're, you know, all right, it's an exchange of money and it's a service thing. People, people know, like if I go into, not that I do, but like, if I go into McDonald's, I'm going there to get a burger fries, and I'm not really going there because the service is amazing. I'm just going there to get what I want. I give them my whatever it is and get out of there, and I'm I'm satisfied with that particular item. Whereas yeah. when it's people interacting with us, if you care about that person, that's almost priceless. Like mm-hmm. that person is gonna be connected to you. They're gonna have a lot of respect and they're gonna be, um, what's that word? They're gonna be loyal to you because they're like, hey, he, he, he cares about me. He, whatever he tells me, I know it's coming from a good place. And me and my wife actually spoke about this recently is I don't care if I become boring Benny to people. And I don't care if also like I lose friends. I'm a be a true friend to where I'll tell you the truth about yourself. Like if you, if you're messing around and, and I just see you doing stupid things, I'll be the friend that will tell you, like, hey, dude, you need to stop doing that, man, because look at what's yeah. going on. And they might not want to hear it at the time, but you know, hopefully at some point they'll be like, man, do you know what? He cared. He, he told me something that I didn't want to hear at the time. And hopefully they'll, you know, grow and progress from that. And again, I think this course, not saying that you're telling people that type of stuff or being harsh, but you're opening them up to themselves and to yeah. understand, like, oh, man, I, I can do better or this is the type of environment that I want to be in. Yeah, so, uh... and it
1: can be quite uncomfortable sometimes to realise how far we've drifted from our true selves. It can be really uncomfortable because it involves letting go of so many attachments mm-hmm. uh, about who you think you are and what you think you need in life to be happy. And you're almost stripping down to your self and then being reborn again. And you're starting from scratch. But... Once you make that transition and you start um, growing your awareness, then, you know, you feel a thousand times better. And then your life just flows naturally, aligned mm-hmm. with your purpose. And, you know, whatever situation I wake up every day, excited for the day ahead. I don't, I've never wake up now feeling, oh God, I can't be bothered with today. I never wake up, I wake up excited. I can't wait to see my daughter. I can't wait to see my partner. I can't wait to go outside if I come across any negative situation now, and I've been through some um, nasty stuff very recently, but I don't have any negative emotions over it. I can just see mm-hmm. it for what it is, acknowledge a situation or a person or a place and just be present and just carry on with my life. You know, too many of us, it's so easy to react to a situation and give your energy away just because someone else is having a bad day or someone else has got their own issues. We need to be the sound observer in our mind. Just see what's going on. Acknowledge it and crack on with your own stuff.
0: Definitely, mate. And uh, just to kind of touch on the business one last time, you know, what's what's on the horizon, mate, as you continue to grow what you're doing? You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, potential courses, you know, where people can obviously connect with you. And, um, you know, what you know, tell us, tell us a little bit more about that, mate.
1: Okay, so as I said earlier, we've pretty much very recently revamped what we're actually delivering. We've scaled down different services. So we're focusing now mainly on these wilderness well-being retreats where, um, we do all the good stuff over a full weekend. Um, we do a couple of different varieties of day experiences that include going through tunnels, caves, abseiling, breathwork, cold water therapy, transformational teachings, all the good stuff to help us increase our well-being, our mindset and our energy and all these, you know, we do open trips, we do private bookings. We're looking to branch out into corporate events. Cause again, it's the perfect atmosphere to, mm-hmm. to really look after and investing your colleagues and your staff. It really is. And obviously the more people are reached the, the better, obviously for everybody. Um, on the horizon, we're looking at planning, um, some, some different sort of retreats, which are going to be overseas doing different activities as well. So that's something exciting to look forward to. Um, yeah.
0: And if anyone who's going to be listening to this, mate, where can they connect with you, mate? Can you just tell us, like, the socials or your email, website? Yeah. And I'll put so, this in the description, too.
1: Okay. So the Instagram page is underscore health, underscore happiness, underscore healing. Facebook, it's just health, happiness, and healing. Our email address is healing at gmail.com. And the website will be www.healthhappinesshealing.co.uk. Well, as I said, that's still getting um, revamped at the minute. That should be live in the next week or two.
0: Awesome, buddy. Um, mate, we're we'll kind of getting close towards the end, mate. I always do, with uh, the guests that I've had on so far, I call it the, the quickfire 10. So it's just 10 questions, mate. Nothing, it shouldn't be anything too, uh, too deep. To think about and uh just kind of like whatever comes off the tongue mate so uh get a little bit more about you as a person but i uh, met your favorite artist as in you know musician or music oh i really like um fear at the minute fear yeah what's was that mate like rock indie. no
1: no she's like um oh she's got a beautiful voice you have to, you have, to have a google after this
0: call beautiful yeah, voice that. yeah fear i'll check that out uh favorite meal mate or go-to food Ooh. Sushi, sushi. Yeah, hey, that's a bit crazy. Of sushi. I just, I just had some sushi last night. Have you? Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, literally, mate. And I'll just, I'd rarely eat it too. It's, it's, to be honest, it's not my thing. Like I'll eat right. it, but yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> mate, what book are you reading, or maybe like audio book, or what have you just finished?
1: Hold on, I'm just going to get it. I can tell you the title. So my partner has just bought me a book, it's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind and it's by Vishen Lakhiani and he is a, a great mind and he does a lot of good work in the world as well, so yeah, I'm really excited to finish this one.
0: What uh, what type of book is it mate or what's it about, like just a little bit?
1: Um, it's how to become on a journey, transformation, change perspectives, yeah. exactly all the good things in life to help us succeed, yeah.
0: Awesome man, uh, favourite sports team mate?
1: Oh, you're not gonna this. I don't follow any sports.
0: Nah, nah. Uh what about athlete? You got a favourite athlete or somebody you kinda, you know, like maybe look up to a little bit, even as a kid?
1: Um, even as a kid it was it was gonna be Alan Shearer, the footballer Shearer. from uh, Newcastle, yeah. I was obsessed with him, yeah.
0: <laughs> Mate, uh I'm guessing I know the answer to this one, but uh, mountains or the ocean? Ah,
1: that's a tough one still. I love being by the beach, but I have to say the mountains. The mountains
0: uh, are my happy place. Very much at home yeah. there. Yeah, same here, mate. Um, is there anything that you're scared of, like any phobias? Dogs attacking me.
1: Considering I've been shot at, God knows how many times, I've been blown <laughs> up, I've been um, involved in other things, run over by a car. Dogs attacking me is the one thing that puts the fear up me, yeah. That's
0: yeah uh well i think i think we've all got that fear but uh is it the little dog mate or is it a big dog
1: any dog benny and that's the worst thing about it it could be a little chihuahua and i'll still be uh,
0: running up a tree (laughs) (laughs) um probably know the answer to this one now but uh hitting the town for a night out or hitting the sofa and a movie
1: hitting the sofa definitely
0: yeah mate uh What's your biggest influence, mate, or maybe someone who's influenced you to this point?
1: We have, doubt, my daughter. Um, it's so funny, as parents, we think we're there to teach our children, but the children are there to teach us many, many things.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. And then, um, mate, in a year's time from now, like, where do you see yourself? Or, or again, like, what you're doing, like, where do you see the progression?
1: and i see the progression is we're we're going to continue to grow bigger and bigger and i'd like to start reaching people much further afar maybe via different means but yeah that's the
0: way we're going awesome buddy um before we kind of tie it up mate, i always ask everyone this too mate tell us a little bit uh well tell us if you've got like a mantra a favorite quote or just a A lasting message that people, when they, you know, close out this episode, that'll stick in their mind.
1: Okay. Um, Something I really like to follow is life should never be a constant struggle to find your true path. It's about creating the correct atmosphere inside and out so the path shows itself to you.
0: That's awesome, buddy. I I love that one. Um, I'll I'll be keeping that one. Um, (laughs) Thank you good mate uh just to finish up man um any anything else that you just i don't know i think we've kind of covered a lot there buddy and uh, mate that's honestly i just want to say real quick is i've really enjoyed this episode i mean i enjoy them all but mate there was some stuff in there that i wasn't expecting to hear and i really appreciate you sharing that i know it i know you've gone on a lot of discovery and learning and i can you know Again, I'm not even going to pretend to everyone that that we, that we were bezes, but you know we kind of crossed paths in the military, yeah. and you know we kind of it's like anyone, you know, you, you look out for each other, you know, via social media nowadays, and you know we check in every now and again. But by no means were we beezes or best friends, but mate, even from afar, I've seen the self growth, and even just from the content that you put out there, mate. You know, mm-hmm. people people don't talk and do that type of stuff if they've they've gone on some journey themselves, mate. So uh, just it's been a an amazing conversation, mate. Uh, I know a lot of people who listen to this, mate, are gonna get something from this. And uh, I just want to say, mate, keep you know hammering away at your business. Uh, I really do believe that what you're doing, it's gonna continue to grow. And that I reckon in about five years' time, I've been telling people this because I kind of want to do something loosely along the lines of what you're doing as an mm-hmm. extra. But um, I think this is gonna be the new modern day vacation. Is people yeah. want to get away from the monotony of just being around the same stuff. Even when they go on vacations, they want to do something where you have an experience, you learn something about yourself, you maybe challenge yourself, and then you actually remember it for years to come. You're like, man, do yeah. you remember when I did that? Man, that was awesome. I want to do it again. So, yeah, just for myself, a uh, really good uh, good uh, factual stuff that you're doing thank you for opening up um about your you know career and the stuff that happened during and um just wish you all the success mate going forward and i just know and uh i don't say this to everyone mate but uh, yeah like i used it earlier you, you you give off that warrior spirit mate you've got that warrior you're a modern-day warrior, mate, and I, don't, and I don't say that just to sound good because you're on this uh, episode, and people will look to people like you for help, guidance in many ways, and you're already doing it, mate, so just keep keep doing the good work, man.
1: Thank you so much, mate. Those are really beautiful words. Thank you for this experience.
0: I nah, appreciate it, buddy, and, uh, yeah, we'll get it out there, and uh, everyone else, thank you for tuning in. You're going to enjoy this one, believe me. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode right there. Hope you enjoyed that one. If you are interested in working directly with me, feel free to head to my website, www.tier1performancelv.com. Hit the consultation tab fill out the form and that will get us directly connected or feel free to uh, hit me up or follow the socials on instagram bennyfit51 and tier one performance lv there's going to be more great content coming through this platform so hit that like set your alerts to stay up to date again have a great day everybody this is tier one performance lv helping you find your inner athlete have a good one